I appreciate Hayden making the extra effort to lead that song before the lesson this morning. It's a song that uh, I don't believe you've ever led before, and so I appreciate him and I appreciate that. I'd like to begin this morning with an article by Brother Brad Harrod. It is entitled, The Exodus of the Young. An article that was recently posted at www.churchofchristarticles.com. For those of you who might not be familiar with Brother Brad Harrow, Brother Brad Harrow, Ph.D., is the executive director and co-founder of Focus Press. He is a speaker and author on topics such as Christian evidences, young earth creationism, biblical truths, medical, medical ethics, and the culture war. An author, as I said, in one of the greatest books, if you want something for your teenager, to be able to talk about the age of the earth and dinosaurs and all this and that, one thing and another, simply the best book I've ever seen on that is this book called Convicted, written by Brother Brad Harrod. It is outstanding. Continuing with Brother Harrod's credentials, he serves as a co-editor of Think Magazine. In addition to being a co-host on the television show, Think About It. Dr. Harrod has spoken at youth rallies and lectureships, catch this, in over 47 states and on five different continents, conducting over 40 Truth About Origins weekend seminars each year. <coughs> 40 weekend seminars out of 52 weeks. He is also an adjunct faculty member at the Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver. Brother Harab is from Franklin, Tennessee, where he and his wife, Melinda, attend the Southern Hills Church of Christ. He holds a bachelor's degree in biology from Kentucky Wesleyan College and an earned doctorate degree in anatomy and neurobiology from the College of Medicine at the University of Tennessee in Memphis. Why do I bother to tell you all that? This is a sermon, right? Why do I bother to tell you about Brother Harab? Here's why. Because I want you to understand that the article that I'm about to read is not written by somebody who has no idea what they're talking about. The article that I'm about to read to you is not written by somebody who's clueless. This is a man who is very well-traveled, very knowledgeable about the church. When he speaks and he writes, just based on experience alone, he knows what he's talking about. That's why. And I beg our young people in particular, as well as every other member of this congregation, to listen to this article that we're going to discuss in the sermon this morning, as if our youth's lives depended on it. Because their eternal life does. This is the article. It's only four short paragraphs. It's like a slow train wreck you can't stop watching. For 18 years, a young person attends your local congregation and is present every Sunday. But then they leave home, take the high dive into the world, and slowly start to live a life that does not reflect Christ. And sadly, they appear to love this new life of worldliness. Their clothes get more immodest. Their social media posts get more immoral. 
their language becomes less about Jesus Christ, more about themselves. And little by little, you watch as this once faithful person begins to embrace sin. Why? Why are we not better grounding our young people to run away from worldliness and to run toward holiness, Brother Harold Wright? Why do we sit idly by and assume that this is just a phase that everybody's got to go through? Why do we no longer blush? Why is it okay for a 20-year-old to dishonor the bride of Christ publicly through social media? Nobody says a word. Why do we act like souls are not the same? I fear, Brother Harold writes, that it is because in too many cases, their hearts were never fully turned toward God in the first place. Sure, they wanted to get baptized, and sure, they wanted to avoid the fires of hell, but many never put on the new man. They never agreed to be a servant, a slave to Christ. If I may interject here for just a moment, what I believe he's saying is this. They've been taught baptism, but not repentance. They have been taught submersion, but not necessarily surrender. They have been taught and have obeyed in momentary obedience, but not how essential it is they must rise to walk in a new life and be a living sacrifice for life. Brother Herod's closing paragraph. Yes, they wanted salvation and forgiveness. But they did not fully want him as Lord of their life. They simply wanted a comfortable Christianity that still allowed them to live as they wanted to live. It's time parents... Church leaders and Christians take a serious look at the hearts of their young people and ask, who is on the throne of that heart? Is it a video game? Is it themselves? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it theater, football, or band? Is it high grades and honor roll? Is it being popular or having the right phone? Or is it Jesus Christ as Lord? How many more will we watch fall away before we realize that something has to be done? And he concludes. Now, there's a couple of things. Obviously, Brother Harris has traveled all over. A couple of things I want you to understand as, why, as to why I started by reading that article this morning. First thing I want us to realize this. Nationwide, and apparently in other countries as well, this is a, an epic, a fatal <coughs> epidemic that is claiming the hearts and souls and lives of not only some of the individual young people that grew up faithful in the church, but whole young families from the Lord's church today, just as Brother Herod said. And I think some of you are all too sadly aware of this as well. Congregations continually losing their 18 to 30-year-old somethings, 30-something-year-olds, 
Well, by and large, too many times across our country, many church leaders just sit idly by, and they refuse to do anything whatsoever to even try to stem this tide of this mass exodus from the church, one which threatens the very future of their congregations. You know, Karen and I have traveled. I served more than one congregation, obviously, as, as their preacher prior to coming to Shoto. We've actually seen this sort of thing happen. We've seen a place where church leaders, even though they had opportunity and they had money, and they had, they had the ability and they had the time and they had the talents to invest it in making sure that this mass exodus did not occur in their congregation. Their social lives and their own recreation meant more than getting their hands dirty and taking the time and putting in the effort. And so what happened? One by one, the classroom doors closed. The hallway became like a mausoleum. But here's the good news. And I said all that to get to the good news. And this is the good news. I wish that there were some way that I could get every member of this congregation to truly understand just how blessed we are in this congregation here in Shoto. Having traveled around, if you've never been to other congregations long term, you don't know how good you got it. I'm sorry, but if you take for granted how good we got it in Shoto, I'm sorry for you. And I wish I could make you understand how blessed we are to have in place the teaching, the training, the fellowship, and the service programs that we do for our young people. But even more so, to have in place, right here in this group, the incredibly selfless and self-sacrificing servants, those with hearts truly after God that we do have, right here. Those who are willing to do and to sacrifice whatever it personally takes to try to make sure that the souls of our young people do not become eternal casualties. We have some phenomenal Bible class teachers. Doug, how many classes have you sat in? None. How do you know? I'll tell you how I know. When was the last time you as a non-teacher walked back through this hall back here and actually took the time to look into some of these classrooms? When you look into these classrooms and you see they're not just bland like this wall here. I didn't put anything on the wall, right? But when you go back there to those classrooms and you see all the work, the hours of effort that those teachers have put in, especially when it comes to the changing of the quarter like we just had a few weeks ago, Karen and I have the opportunity of living right next door to the church building. So these teachers that come in Friday nights, stay late, come in on Saturdays, come in on Sunday afternoons, getting ready and preparing their classroom to teach for the next quarter, we see... All of, the all of the time that they put into preparing their classroom. Folks, if they weren't as good of teachers as they are, they wouldn't care so much about their classrooms to begin with. But they care about their classrooms because they care about their kids. And they care about the truth. And we are so blessed here in Shoto to have such wonderful Bible class teachers. We see, as I say, their car. Their car is in the parking lot Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoons while they're working on classrooms and class prep. We have something else. 
we have and are very blessed to have in our midst two deacons who faithfully, lovingly, continually, and relentlessly work to see that our youth do not become an eternal casualty. And Brother Eric Bond and Kirk Emmerine, they can deal with me later. up here because this is on my heart because I, I am just so grateful. The personal sacrifices of time and effort and energy and finances which both they and their families make in order to try to ensure that the youth of this congregation have every chance possible to grow and to learn and to live faithfully in Christ Jesus until death are truly remarkable. These two deacons in particular do this, and I know everybody does this, but these two in particular do this because they love the Lord. And they love his church. And they love our youth. They love our kids. So much. From the bottom of their hearts. They do all this because they have hearts after God. Hearts that simply cannot bear to see what Brother Harold described happening in so many other congregations of the Lord's church. In the article we just read. Every summer these two deacons. Some of their family members take a week of their own vacation time to go work with the youth at Green Valley Bible Camp. There's a lot more to that than just going to camp for a week and enjoying yourself in the Arkansas rainforest. <laughs> they teach, they counsel, the planning, the packing, all of the stuff that they do. Staying up late at night counseling with these kids. Listen, everybody from Shoto, everybody from Shoto that I have ever known, everybody that goes to Green Valley, are blessing to everybody down there. You know one of the reasons that I got to know you? The reason I got to know you. The reason I became your preacher all started out at Green Valley. And I saw the quality of all of the members here that attend Green Valley and the work they do and the love they have for those kids. Eleven Sunday afternoons out of the 12 months of the year. I don't know what you do on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe you take a nap. Maybe you watch a football game. Maybe you visit. Maybe you work in your garden. Probably not today. But 11 Sunday afternoons out of 12 months of the year, these two deacons make sure their kids get to try safe. Some nights we don't get home till 9, 9.30. And guess what? They have jobs. They work, too. they got to get up Monday morning and go to work just like everybody else does. I love going to Tri-State. I am so grateful to the elders for allowing me to go and just be there. It is, I'll tell you right now, it is beautiful. When you go to one of these Tri-States and you watch the kids from this congregation, you watch our kids during the lesson. And from the youngest to the oldest, they're sitting there scribbling down notes. It's an awesome thing. You know every congregation doesn't have that. You know that, right? Not only do they scribble down notes, but on the way home, there's this wonderful and unique thing. And if you've never gone to a Tri-State, you probably don't know this unless your kids have told you. But on the way home, every one of the kids is asked to make the trip down and sit in the front seat of the bus and tell what they learned from their notes. You know, I've learned quite a bit from the kids Sorry, I call you a kid because I'm 60. Learn a lot from the kids. Learn as much from the kids as you do the speaker because they take such good notes. They made some. I just sit there in awe of what these kids learn. It is a it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Something else that's really nice is even when our young people get their own vehicles. Guess what? They still drive themselves in to go to Tri-State service and training programs that we have where our young men and women alike for their roles, each respective roles, they're learning to they're learning to lead prayer and they're learning to do devotionals and they're they're learning all of this neat stuff. Song leading. It's wonderful. The ladies brunch a while ago. That was fantastic. 
all of this so that our kids have the best chance not to become one of those statistics Brother Harold was talking about training our young people. For example, talking about training our young people, please open your Bibles. Yes, this is a sermon. 1 Timothy 3. Speaking of training our young people, this entire effort, teachers, these two, all of it, are all about your child's eternity and the future of this congregation. As an example, in 1 Timothy 3, have you ever considered, and hopefully you have, seeing how we have elders, the complete list of absolute musts that God says an elder and his wife must have and be qualified in in order to serve him and his church faithfully. Have you ever looked at this list and wondered to yourself, hmm, I wonder when they start being these things. I wonder when they start thinking about it. I wonder when they start doing these things. Let's look at the list, 1 Timothy 3. Brethren, not every congregation has elders. The church needs elders. That's God's plan. But look at the list. This is a faithful saying, 1 Timothy 3, 1. If a man desires the position of a bishop, or an elder, or an overseer, he desires a good work. When do you think people start desiring the work? They shouldn't desire the work the minute somebody comes up and says, hey, would you like to be an elder? They should be desiring to serve God's people a lot sooner than that. You've got to build that into them. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Well, let me ask you a question. When does a man start learning who grows up in the church to be able to teach? Better start at a pretty young age if he's really going to be able to teach well. Is that not fair? There's quite a bit to learn. Elders must be able to teach. That doesn't start the day somebody comes up and says, hey, will you be an elder? He continues, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. That covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. In other words, this can't be a guy who's new to the faith. This has got to be somebody who's been in the faith a while. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. When do you start getting a good name? When do you start having a reputation and other people know you? You know when that starts? As soon as there's other people around you. Do you begin to develop a name and a reputation in grade school, elementary school? Do you? Do people begin to know who you are and the way you deal with them? That starts then. And it follows you through life. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Let these first be tested. Let the service deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen. Those qualities I just read, those are the cream of the crop qualities. To every member of this congregation, every young person, every middle-aged person, every, everybody who's a Christian or wants to be, that's the cream of the crop right there. Those qualifications... God says, this is it right here. These are the best of the best. They're the ones I want to lead my church. These qualifications, these qualities, are what every individual person should be striving daily to attain and maintain in their lives 
Here's the big question. When should training in these areas begin? You've got to get this. This is the point of the whole lesson. When should training in these areas that we just read about to become elders and deacons and, and be that quality, when should training begin? I'll tell you when. At least by the time a child is old enough to walk, talk, learn anything and imitate it, if not before. That's how young we should be starting with our kids to instill in them these values. This is why so many congregations don't have an eldership. They don't have an eldership because they didn't start training their kids as soon as they could walk and talk and imitate good behavior to see what cream of the crop Christianity looks like. And so guess what? They have no eldership. They have no leadership. The guy that's gotten out of the baptistry and is still wiping the water out of his ears has got the same say at men's meeting as the guy that's been there for five decades. Why? Because they didn't start early. They didn't have training programs in place like we have in place here in Shoto. We're so blessed to have in place to train our young people. Listen, you don't think it starts that early? Well, that's pretty early. Listen, when a child can imitate, they can imitate good, right? And, and they can see your family as you serve, and, and they can be involved in these things. Listen, why do you think God said what he did in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9? Please turn there. Why do you think God said this? This is, this is important, people. I am so fired up and so grateful to be here and grateful to God for what we have in place. I used to say what you have in place, and then I was reminded that I'm part of you now, so I can say we. That's kind of cool. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Why did God say this, do you think? Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Why start when they're kids? Because that's what God said to do. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll be as frontless between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Why do you think God said start so early? Because it takes a long time to build a cream of the crop Christian. That's why. Same reason he said in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. Same reason that Hannah gave Samuel to Eli to learn about and to serve God as soon as he was weaned, 1 Samuel 1, 21 through 28. And did you know this? Did, did you know that it is the Lord's instruction and intention that we must seek him in our youth in order to best serve him in our life and then live with him after death. Did you know? Did you know that, that that's God's intention and instruction? At least that's what King Solomon and his godly wisdom told his son. Matter of fact, King Solomon should know a thing or two about that, shouldn't he? <laughs> this is what the entire book of Ecclesiastes is all about teaching them when they're young, teaching them what's important, teaching them what doesn't matter. Anything you can do to train up that child. Anything. And we are blessed to have so many things to help with that here in Shoto. Turn to me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you please? We'll spend the remainder or most of our lesson there. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12. Actually, we'll start in chapter 11. <coughs> Remember, let me say this one more time. The entire book of Ecclesiastes, if you read it from the first verse to the last verse, is about this very thing we're talking about this morning. Training a child what's important. Training a child what God expects. Training them up in the way that they should go. That's the entire book. 
The conclusion at the end, I want to start in chapter 11 and verse 9. Young people, please, please watch this. God says start when they're young. Ecclesiastes 11.9 Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now, young folks, your Creator, in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This text right here is all about learning everything that you can about God while you're young. While you're young. Coming to know and obey God and his word while you're still young. Before old age and the infirmities it brings set in and stall you out. We were in Olathe, Kansas. On vacation one day, we went to worship services and Bible class with a little congregation there, and the teacher was talking about this, and I, and I loved his outline. I asked him for a copy of it, and I'm going to share with you some thoughts. One of the thoughts he had on chapter 11, verse 9 through 12, and verse 1 was, in the youth, memory is strong. You older folks, and by older, I mean older than me, and I'm 60, okay? So let's just draw the line, all right? Take care of that. You folks that are, you have more life experience. We'll put it that way, just so nobody's offended. You have more life experience than I do because you've been here longer. If your memory is good as it was when you was 18, this means yes, this means no. Is your memory as good as it was when you was 18? No. Because a, a person is like a computer. Their hard drive gets full and they can't remember things. It's very difficult for me to remember. That's why my sermon notes look like a, a novel, okay? I want to I wanna say what I got to say and I don't want to forget it. In our youth, memory is strong and tenacious. My grandson at seven years old. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Memorized a hundred memory verses. Seven. Started in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 1. Went all the way through chapter 26, went into chapter 27. And you could sit down with a New King James Version Bible and you could read it right in front of you and he wouldn't miss two words in a hundred verses. Seven. I'm lucky if I can memorize seven verses. Memory is strong. One of the things he shared, a second point he shared, so much of life has yet to be lived by youth. By following in the paths of righteousness, we can avoid the pitfalls of Satan and enjoy life as God intended it to be enjoyed both now and forever. In our youth, there's this vitality. And this vitality can be used more in our youth to serve the Lord than it can when we get older and we get infirm and we creep closer to death. Number three that he shared, he said, physical life is not certain. Nobody's promised tomorrow. I don't care if you're 14 or 114. You're not. So our young people need to learn to serve God in their youth because they may not have another 60 years to learn how it's done. Number four, he said this. Another reason that they need to learn young, another reason they need to remember now that their creator in the days of their youth before the difficult days come, Ecclesiastes 12.1, because he says, for those who have not served God most of their lives, it becomes a harder thing to do so as the years of life tick away. Sickness is more prevalent. Evil habits are strengthened by continual use. And time runs short to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and serve faithfully. 
It is still possible, but it becomes an uphill battle as the heart becomes continually more hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Learn about God and learn to serve him in your youth. Take advantage of some of the things we got going on here in Shoto. I remember my son-in-law, J.R., saying, because he wasn't, he wasn't brought up to church either. He was, he was converted, I think, early 30s. And his favorite line is, I didn't grow up in the church, but I got here as soon as I could. can't tell you how many times I've had the thought and actually voiced the words, I wish I'd grown up in the Lord's church. I wish that I had, had maybe that's why I act like a kid so much now, Bible camp and a youth rally. Who knows, right? I didn't get a chance to do that when I was younger, so I'm doing it now. No. I wish I'd had the opportunity to grow up and go out and get on a bus once a month and go be with a hundred other young people and learn about Jesus Christ, and I didn't have that. I wish I had... Maybe if I had, I wouldn't have appreciated it so much. That happens sometimes. But the point still stands. We need to learn to serve God in the days of our youth rather than later on. I knew of a sister in Christ at, at one of the former congregations where I served. She grew up an elder's daughter. She grew up an elder's daughter. She wound up marrying a preacher. Later on in life, things happened, and she developed MS, and one of her greatest regrets was she voiced it. She said, I wish I had served the Lord so much more when my body was able to do it. When I could get around it, I wish I, wish I, had, I, wish I had realized back then how, how much I, I, I've lost that opportunity now. So at any rate, this aging process is what King Solomon, right here in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, now begins describing. And he does so with the same type of language that he uses in the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, however you prefer it. In the Song of Solomon, he uses a lot of illustration to mean different things. And, and here in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, he uses that same sort of language. Watch this, verse 2. Remember, he's talking about remembering the Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Serve him, verse 2, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. What does that mean? This is what it means. Verse 2 describes the springtime of life, our youth. There will come a time, if we make it to old age, where winter begins to set in. We lose abilities we once had, and we realize that our time on this earth is limited extremely. Solomon goes on to describe various physical ailments which began to take place during the aging process in verse 3 and following. Verse 3. This day... Learn to serve him when you're young, while the sun and the moon are still there and the clouds don't return after the rain. Learn to serve him, verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim. What on earth is he talking about? Serve him before that happens. Here's what he's talking about. The keepers of the house tremble. Keepers describe the hands which become arthritic or paralytic but certainly less strong, as it is constantly the case, more or less, in old age. Verse 3, strong men bow down. The strong men describe the legs, which become feeble, less powerful, and eventually unable to support the weight of the body as years go by. The grinders cease, he says in verse 3. Learn to serve the Lord before the grinders cease, because they are few. The grinders describe the teeth. 
the teeth which have become decayed and may be lost, the few that remain being incapable of properly chewing hard food and as such softer foods which require little or no chewing are consumed. Serve the Lord before verse 3, those that look through the windows grow dim. The windows describe the eyes which degrade and eventually are dimmer or darker or have cataracts. They don't see as well as they once did. Corrective lenses are employed along with surgeries to try to make better vision. Before those days come, he says, serve God while you're young. While you can still see and, and you can do, and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt so much to serve the Lord and maybe help somebody do this or that. Serve him while you're young, remembering then before verse 4, before the time comes when the doors are shut in the streets, the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low. What does that mean? Serve God before, number one, the doors are shut in the streets. The doors describe the lips, and the streets are the jaws, or cheeks, from whence the food travels through to be chewed. Sound of grinding is low, because chewing food makes little or no noise, because not many teeth are left. Before the times come when one rises up at the sound of a bird. Have you ever noticed that as you get older, it's harder to sleep all night? Least little noise will wake you up. Boy, when I was, I'll tell you what, when I was younger and we were driving tractor trailers, I could climb in that sleeper while my uh, co-driver was driving back home. We could go across the Cross Bronx Expressway, and I don't think you have a road down here that's rough as the Cross Bronx Expressway. I could sleep. I'd bounce it around. Man, I could sleep like a baby. You let there be a bird that whistles a half a block away now at night. Old age, you don't sleep as well. That's what he's saying. Before the time comes, when one rises up at the sound of the bird, even small common noises are enough to wake from wake one from sleep at this stage. Sleep does not come as easy it once did, and it is more slumber than sleep. He says, serve the Lord before the daughters of music are brought low, before the voice becomes so feeble and less prone to cheerful tunes. Before that day happens, he also says, serve the Lord before you get to the stage, verse 5. Also, they are afraid of height and of the terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshoppers a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. What's he saying? <coughs> serve the Lord and remember him in the days of your youth before these things happen. Before, number one, you are terrified of heights or afraid of heights. Being feeble, some people in their older age are afraid to trust themselves to ascend steps and stairs without help. When they look upwards, vertigo often creeps in. I had one of our members here today, who's a little more years experienced than I am, came in and said, I came this morning, but it wasn't going to come if it was raining. Because they don't want to slip and fall. They're afraid. If you get older, you get afraid of, of height and, and stairs and slipping. I found out, even at my age, I'm a lot older than some of our teenagers, I found out when we went to Silver Dollar City that their vertigo and their stuff doesn't bother them half as much as it does me if I'm watching the roller coaster they're on. As you get older, these things happen. He says, serve the Lord before those things happen, before there are terrors in the way. A lot of older folk dare not walk out lest they should meet some danger which they do not have the strength to repel nor the agility to escape. Before the almond tree blossoms, the hair begins to change, first gray and then white. It's like an almond tree. As one said who observed the tree in full bloom in Judea, it's like an old man with his white locks. Is what the almond tree looks like in bloom. Of course, he's lucky if he has locks. Okay. The grasshopper is a burden. Serve the Lord before the grasshopper is a burden. What does that mean? What are grasshoppers known for? 
going, 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 right? Bounce, right? There's a lot of bounce in their step. A lot of bounce in some of you guys. You play basketball, right? A lot of bounce in your step. 16, 17, 18, you know, 20. Yeah. Well, guess what? You don't have as much bounce in your step when you get 20, 30, 40 years. Is that right? Amen. <laughs> it would be a burden. The grasshopper's a burden. But before you get to that point, serve the Lord and you just learn everything you can about him. Now. We're so blessed here that we have so much going for our young people. And he says, and before desire fails, appetite for food and other activities that you once enjoyed as a youth now diminish. Solomon continues with a description of death in verses 6 and 7. When he says, remember your creator, goes back to what he said in verse 1. Before the silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. For the silver cord is loose, has reference to the spinal cord, which has a silver gray color to it. At death, the spinal cord is said to be loosed as the nervous system become a little before that, but at the event of death, it becomes wholly debilitated. The last loosing will be the fall of the underjaw, the never-failing evidence of immediate death. When he says before the golden bowl is broken, has reference to the skull. A broken skull means one that no longer has any life or energy in it. The pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Reference to the heart and how the heart works. And I've got a long description here, but I won't go into all of it. He says, before all those things happen, in verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth where it was. What's the point of this whole section? And indeed, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, if you don't take anything else home from this lesson, take this. The point of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, including this passage right here that we spent so much time on, is one thing. Young people in particular, that seeking first and foremost in your life, and at the very earliest age possible, to learn and to know and to serve God, is far more important than any other person, or pursuit, or priority in this earthly life. Amen. That's the point of the entire book. This is exactly what King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, tells his son, verse 12 of chapter 12, in verses 13 and 14, when he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let me reiterate it this way. There is absolutely, according to King Solomon, no other pursuit on this planet, none, that is anywhere near as important as ensuring that our youth both have and take advantage of every opportunity possible to get to know God better. Period. And we are blessed here in Shoto that they have opportunities to learn about God, to learn what it means and looks like to live for Him instead of themselves in every facet of life, whether it's Tri-State or a Bible class or whatever it is. They have so many opportunities to learn what they must learn to become more committed and devoted every day to keeping God's commandments so that they can have eternal life. If they do not understand that, 
even if they do not understand that in everything that is at stake, i.e. their eternity. And while, while we're blessed here that a number of our youth do understand that their eternity is at stake, I feel like any congregation, there may be some that, that, that don't quite understand everything that's at stake. But even if they don't, we as adults, as their parents, as their grandparents, we must, we who are better described by the older folks part of Ecclesiastes 12 than the younger folks part, we must make sure that we understand what's at stake. And as we do, as such, we must understand how blessed we are right here to have so many wonderful, faithful, committed, and hardworking Bible class teachers for our kids. So many people that love our kids. But we have leadership here whose main concern is our kids who are willing to work so hard to sacrifice so much and to give so much of themselves and their families to see that every young person in this room is given every opportunity possible to come to better see and know and serve the living God. We are so blessed. And if we truly do understand that what's at stake, as well as the people that we have in this congregation that put in so much for our kids, We need to. Well, let me ask you a question. You don't, don't answer this. Let me ask you this. I want you to think about this. And I don't say it because she's my daughter. It wouldn't matter whose daughter she was. Why do you think my daughter, Katie, it's got nothing good to do with her being related to me, but why do you think she drives an hour and 20 minutes to work one way each day? She drives from Skeety, Oklahoma to Broken Arrow. An hour and 20 minutes one way to work every morning. Drives back home an hour and 20 minutes every night. She does that five days a week. Why do you think that she, after doing that, will then take and pack up a six-month-old and or a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, or a 14-year-old on a Sunday afternoon when we are having a youth service and training event? Then gone all the rest of the week. Why do you think she'll do that? And she will pack them up, drive them all two hours or more over here from Pawnee, one way, two hours, miss evening, evening service at her home congregation where her husband's the preacher. Just to be involved. Why do you think she does that? She does it because she realizes the value of what we have right here in Shogun. She does it because those kids are that important and she knows that we have the people and the leadership and the programs here in place that her kids need, that the kids have got to have if they're going to grow up to become the elders, the elders' wives, the deacons, the deacons' wives, and the leaders in the church that they need to be and to go to heaven. That's why she does it. And if we as adults truly get it, that is to say, if we truly understand what's at stake, then we too will make every effort possible to make sure that no young person, whether it's our own child, our grandchild, maybe the neighbor's child, I don't know, but we will take every effort we can when we understand what is at stake to make sure that no young person misses any of these opportunities to take advantage of if we can help it. Period. Do we want our kids to become what Brother Harib described? Is that what we want? Is our soul in you? We're so blessed here because we have things in place so that we can help give them every chance not to become one of those statistics. 
Isn't that awesome? But what does it say about those we don't involve our kids? We said, well, you know, my kids said they didn't want to go to dry state, so we just stayed home. And I don't know if anybody, it's not personal, if you've done that, I forgive me. I don't know of anything this way that's actually happened, okay? Let me say that up front. Well, they just didn't want to go. Let me ask you a question. When your kid wants to go to school, doesn't want to go to school on Monday morning, you say, that's okay, you can stay home. How many of you do that? They get up Tuesday and say, I really don't want to go to school today. Say, okay, stay home. It's all, it's all good. Don't worry about it. We got this covered. We don't do that, do we? So we went to it at school where they're getting a secular education to go and to learn how to make a living and money and stuff like that, all that stuff they can't take with them when they die. But when they can go to Bible class or Tri-State or any of these other opportunities where people have worked so hard to help us get our kids to heaven, and we just say, well, it's okay if you stay home. Really? How does that work? Dads, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, the responsibility of the lion's share. I'm a dad. The lion's share falls on us. Maybe it would help if you took home a copy of that article I wrote there. I'll be on that little... Pulpit. Let me close by saying this. Everything I told you this morning is because I love your kids and I love you and I want to see everybody in heaven. That's the reason. I stepped on your toes, I'm a terrible shot. I've been into your heart. We all love a deal, don't we? Don't we all love a good deal? Isn't that where Black Friday came from? Now they've overused it so much it's useless, right? Let me ask you this. Talking about a deal. If somebody told you that they're going to, every time you showed up twice on Sunday to church, they were going to give you a $150 voucher, good for your kids' college education. How soon would you start bringing them? If every Sunday that you were here for two services, you got a $150 voucher to the college of your choice. I figured it out. I multiplied, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, 150 bucks, 18 years, how much money does that come up with? If my math is right, that comes up to $140,000. If your kid could go to a four-year college for $140,000, every time you showed up, you got one of those vouchers, how many Sundays would they miss? I've got a better deal for you than that. If every Sunday that your kids are here, they go to Bible class and they learn something that's going to help them go to heaven. You tell me that's not more important. That's a whole better deal than 140 grand, isn't it? And a college tuition? Whole better deal. I got a better deal for you than that. If you're here this morning and you've ever sinned, here's a deal for you. Jesus Christ came and became sin for you so that you don't have to die for your sins. One sin will keep you out of heaven, but Jesus came and died for you. Young, old, doesn't matter. And Jesus Christ, here's the best deal you'll ever get. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. And Jesus Christ is willing to forgive your sins if you'll simply believe on him, if you're willing to confess him, if you're willing to obey him by being baptized, by repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're willing to do that, he'll wash away all your sins. Isn't that an incredible deal, church? That's awesome. How can you say no to that? But understand that if you do that, you must rise and walk in newness of life and live faithful unto death. <coughs> that you must spend all the time you can, because today is the first day of the rest of your, li your life. And the newsflash, you ain't going to be any younger tomorrow than you are today. And so while you're at your youngest point of your life yet to live, you start keep learning 
about God at every opportunity. You become his child and you rise to walk in newness of life. If we can help you with that, or if you need the prayers of the church, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.